Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. Exodus 32, 1 through 14. It can be found on page 69 in your pew Bible if you would like to follow along. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come, make gods for us. Who shall go before us? As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Aaron said to them, Take off the gold rings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from them, formed it in a mold, and cast an image of a calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a festival to the Lord. They rose early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought sacrifices of well-being. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to revel. The Lord said to Moses, Go down at once. Your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, have acted perversely. They have been quick to turn aside from the way that I commanded them. They have cast for themselves an image of a calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it, and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, how stiff-necked they are. Now let me alone, so that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them. And of you I will make a great nation. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, It was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath, change your mind, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, how you swore to them by your own self, saying to them, I will multiply your descendants like the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord changed his mind about the disaster that he planned to bring on his people. In our 10-week journey through Exodus, we've made it uh, to week 9. Tom, we've got the landing gear down on this one. We're going to set it down sometime soon. We've been going through this book of God's amazing provision to the Hebrew people, and we've got this week and one more. But the time and the chapters can play tricks on us, so let me get us caught up with where we are in the larger story. Two weeks ago, Moses goes up Mount Sinai, has the encounter with God, God delivers the Ten Commandments for our living together. 
Moses comes down in chapter 24, but then he heads back up again pretty quickly. And you'll remember from last week that during that second trip up, there is this long treatment in Exodus of the teachings to Moses and the rules and how to build the ark and the process for ordination and all of that. And last week's passage was from out of that teaching. <coughs> well, Moses is still up on the mountain. I mean, this has been a while. The, the Israelites are not getting in their 10,000 steps right now. They're at the base of the mountain waiting on Moses to come down. Moses is up there getting his crash course in leadership and how to run a capital campaign and a building program. So the travel narrative of the Israelites has been suspended. They've been in camp for a while because Moses has been up the mountain and he's been there a while. He first went up the mountain in chapter 20. It's now chapter 32. Twelve chapters is a long time to spend up a mountain. Forty days and forty nights, the scripture says, he spent on a mountain. Let me do a quick aside about this 40 stuff. They don't count, the ancients don't count 40 like we count with, a, with an outlook calendar out checking off each day. 40 is just a long time, right? Just a long time. 40 days, 40 days. We might say to one another, I hadn't seen you in a month of Sundays. Well, that doesn't literally mean I hadn't seen you in 30 or 31 Sundays. It just means it's been a long time, right? 40 is just a long time. How long did it rain when Noah built the ark? 40 days and 40 nights. It, it was a long time. How long did the wilderness, does this wilderness wandering last? 40 years. Long time. The, the temptation of Jesus, 40 days and 40 nights, right? You're getting the picture. It's just the Hebrew way of saying, is a long stretch of time. Anyway, Moses has been up there a while. He's been up there longer than anybody thought reasonable. And he's been up there long enough for this traveling band of Hebrews to start wondering if he's ever coming back. They say to Aaron, this Moses, this man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Moses is the only one interpreting this Yahweh God to the Israelites, and now Moses is nowhere to be found. And in their anxiety, they want what they knew before, idols. They want gods they can touch. And they appeal to Aaron. And Aaron, the people pleaser, agrees. And he gathers up all the gold jewelry in the community, melts it down into the form of a cow. All right, I've got another aside. I don't, usually don't have this many asides in a sermon. But really, he melted it into a cow? What is inspiring about a cow? Well, like, why not an eagle or a lion? Or, I mean, a, a cow is the symbol of fertility in that time, in that culture, but a cow? All right, anyway, the Israelites now have a shiny, touchable alternative. 
No more of this cloud and mystery stuff. They have a God they can touch, and it sparkles. The Israelites have a short memory, right? I mean, they beg for deliverance from Pharaoh, and God delivers. Stuck between the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army, remember that story, God delivers. Then we talked about they're in the wilderness, they complain about being hungry, quail and manna, God delivers again, over and over and over in this story, God keeps delivering. And then a tablet of ten expectations, the first two of the commandments, thou shalt have no other gods before me, thou shalt make no graven images. And now Moses is gone longer than expected, and they're ready to go back to the comfort of a God they can see and touch. They're ready to opt for a cheap alternative rather than wait out the mystery of the real thing. Don't go full-on judgmental quite yet, because you and I do this all the time. We melt down the claim of God to fit our lifestyle too. We substitute cheap alternatives for the real thing all the time. I hope you'll indulge me one more um, story from my sabbatical. But I mentioned last week that on sabbatical, Melissa and I had one day at the Louvre in Paris. One day. And I mentioned how I was overdoing it and rushing my way through the Louvre and all of that. I confronted that. I, I confessed to you all. But, in, but I did at least have enough awareness that day to pick up on the silliness of this scene I'm about to tell you. Melissa and I walked into the room that houses the Mona Lisa. It's about the size of our fellowship hall upstairs. One piece of art in one room. And it's not a big piece of art. It's, you know, like this. But it's up on the wall in the back. And you walk into the room, and it's a queue line to get to the best place right in front where you can see. But you got to wait. But the whole time you're waiting, and you can see the Mona Lisa. I walked in. <gasps> and then we're in this queue line. Back and forth, back and forth. You see it the whole time. Until you get right up in the front, just in time for one of the museum workers to shoo you on because they're trying to get other people through the line to see this famous painting. Well, there's a couple in front of us in the line who apparently had enough money to pay an art expert to accompany them on their trip through the Louvre. That'd be really cool, by the way. They, he was there to give short art history lessons on the art that they would be encountering as they went through the, uh, through the museum. And we passed this couple several times. You know how a queue works. They'd be right beside us for a while, then they'd be over there, they'd back over here. Well, when they got close to us, I was always listening in because I wanted to, you know, like get cheap art history lessons. I'm trying to listen in, overhear this teacher, and he's got his iPad out showing the couple of this Mona Lisa art and he's, you know, he's expanding it and he's picking out the subtleties and he's teaching them about the history and the subtleties and all. And all of a sudden I got tickled 
Because we're in the room with this iconic original painting, and they spent their whole time looking at this guy's iPad. I just couldn't believe it. There was no telling how much money they had spent to travel, to pay for this historian, to you know, get the hotel room and all that. And they spent their whole time in the room with the Mona Lisa looking at this guy's iPad. How many different ways do we choose, choose cheap alternatives for the real thing? Especially when they're shiny. We make these trades all the time. Achievement and prosperity are cheap substitutes for peace. We think if we're prosperous enough, then the gnawing insecurities will go away, and they won't. Because peace is only found in covenant relationship to the God disclosed on Mount Sinai. Yet we somehow think a healthier savings account will somehow make all the fear go away. It's a cheap substitute. Tawdry pursuits are a cheap substitute for true love. Flirtations and nighttime computer searches and thrills in the shadows do not satisfy our need for love. To love and to be loved is messy, and it's hurt-filled, and it's not always shiny, and we sometimes fashion cheap substitutes for the real thing. Political ideologies are cheap substitutes for a substantial theology. Politics might be our most pervasive and seductive idol. It is so easy because a political platform can just substitute for thinking and asking hard questions about God's revelation. I know so many people who have melted down God into a golden donkey or elephant. And they worship. You might do a Facebook audit to see if you might be one of them. Rigid theology is a cheap substitute for mystery. In the end, unquestioned answers are far more dangerous than unanswered questions. But I know some Christians who are sure about everything, everything. They can point to the exact verse on anything. I know people who are so sure about everything that they've left no room for mystery. Religious dogma is a cheap substitute for the experience of the mystery of an alive and surprising God among us. Besides, shiny gods demand nothing. Golden calves sparkle and satisfy the nerve endings. And when we melt down God to fit our lifestyles and desires, then the golden gods tickle and satisfy some quick thrill. But it's like looking at an iPod image of the Mona Lisa. 
when we reduce the hard covenant of the one true God who blesses and demands, delivers and punishes, provides and insists, we are always substituting a cheap alternative for the real thing. The real thing is hard and elusive. God remains hidden in cloud, not handled like a golden statue. God chooses to remain nameless. Moses, you remember Moses asked God, what do I tell them if they ask me your name? If they want a name before they agree to follow you. And God says, tell them my name is I am. Tell them I am who I am. The great mystery is up to something. A massive project reclaiming the world through love, and God will not be reduced to something shiny that can fit in our pocket. Bumper stickers. Theological certainty. Sensual pursuits. Frenzied accumulation. Political arrogance. Mona Lisa on an iPad. But covenant recognizes that God is always faithful and God is always calling us to the life that is real and messy and enduring and beautiful. Real covenant doesn't shine like a gold cow. It's hidden by cloud. And we're called to enter into the mystery and depth and truth of it all and not ever give that up for some shiny substitute. This past week, I was having morning coffee on the back deck of a friend's condo, and I watched this long, unattractive, and utterly beautiful covenant story happen right in front of me. Let me tell you my story. Fourth floor, I'm sitting up on the deck, cup of coffee, overlooking a parking lot, and I watched a couple completely silently get into their car, and it took, no kidding, 10 minutes for them to get in their car. They both appeared to be in their 80s, both unfit and unkept and slovenly. And he shuffled to the car with his walker, kind of like Tim Conway, for those of you who are old enough to know that reference. He had shorts and a walker and black socks and shoes with Velcro, and he was making his way to the car. I kept sipping coffee, he kept making his way to the car. Somewhere in that track to the car, my undisciplined mind went to the recent college football combine and I just thought, those guys who did a 4-3-40, how far could they run in the time it's going to take this guy to get to his Buick? I mean, it was just taking forever. Anyway, he finally got to the side door of his car and waited till she got to him. She collapsed his walker. And she made her way to the trunk and opened the trunk and set his walker in the trunk 
and closed the trunk. She didn't go back to her door. She went back to his door. Because he still wasn't settled in the front seat. He helped, she helped him with the stubborn leg that wouldn't negotiate its way into the front floorboard. Then she shut his door and shuffled all the way back around to get to her door. No kidding, this wordless ordeal took 10 minutes. And I teared up. I had just seen something about covenant living that was nowhere close to shiny or cheap. It was real and deep and true. Covenant, fidelity, jealous loyalty, one God, no other gods before me, no graven images, mystery. Do not settle for Mona Lisa on an iPad. Do not settle for cheap idols, for temporary thrills, for unreflected politics, for simple theology. The great I am will not be held or managed or substituted. God is to be worshipped in all the mystery, cloud, depth, and messy beauty of the covenant promise. No other gods, no graven images, no cheap substitutes for God's beautiful mystery. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church.